do is to to share a confession of faith since we can't really say it together really well um please uh listen and be encouraged by this statement on uh the word made flesh we confess the mystery and wonder of god made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through jesus christ our lord with the father and the holy spirit the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, He became truly man, two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us, crucified, dead, and buried. He rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king. Building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. 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 I hope that is encouragement to you. Um, before I go do no screens, I just want to make sure you can hear me okay. Thumbs up. Yep. Good. Okay. Again, happy Mother's Day. Um, I hope all your mothers are encouraged um, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who has forgiven us all of our sins and has made us right with God because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and you all are a blessing to us. Thank you, moms. I think my mom is on here. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, we love you. Um, we're not going to celebrate you like you deserve today. Sorry, but uh, we do love you. So we praise the Lord for you. This is uh, not to belabor the point, but this is our ninth Sunday of quarantine. And I don't say that to make you sad necessarily, but I do say that to remind us that though for many of us, this is a really good time. Quarantine uh, is to is one thing I think God wants to use in our life to remind us that um, there is victory to be won for us, uh, that not everything is exactly as, as it's supposed to be. God is, he's still working and, and uh, he will reign until all things are under his feet. Um, I believe God wants us to think about this and and um while we're happy with the time we get with family and uh the forced sabbath uh we should also lament and mourn the time that we don't get to spend with each other that we don't get to sing with each other that we don't get to encourage each other in person I just encourage you to take some time to reflect about that and what god wants to do in your heart uh during uh this extended quarantine if you need anything, uh, please reach out. We're in Mark 5, chap Mark chapter 5, and I think I've done more messages on Zoom than I have in person at the branch, uh, but that's okay. That's what the Lord has for us. Um, Mark chapter 5, 
Jesus heals a man with a demon and displays his power and glory, the power he shares with God. I have never seen Talladega Nights. I just want to put that out there. This is not a recommendation to see that movie, but I have heard it enough that um, I thought, man, I, I, should, uh, I should be familiar with this scene that I keep hearing about. It's the... If you've seen the movie, I'm sorry if this is too distracting, but it's the scene where this race car driver, I think he's a race car driver, at least he's dressed like one, uh, Ricky Bobby uh, offers grace over a meal and he keeps praying to tiny baby Jesus. Um, and because it's Will Ferrell, it's hilarious, but uh, it, offend, it, offend, uh, it offends the Puritan in me a little bit. Um, it's a little bit blasphemous as well. And uh, his wife interrupts him during the middle of the prayer and says, you know, Jesus grew up to be a man. It's a little weird. It's a little odd and off-putting that, you, that you're praying to a baby. And Ricky Bobby retorts, I like the Christmas Jesus. And I'm saying the grace. You can, you can pray the adult Jesus when it's your turn to say grace. But I like the Christmas Jesus. And then the scene goes on to where the family and his friends start imagining the Jesus that they like, the Jesus that they want to pray to. You know, I, I, I like Jesus because he's this, and I like Jesus because he's that. And I like Jesus. I like to imagine a Jesus that's just like me, the Christmas Jesus, the one that I can tame and domesticate. Well, I just want to remind us brothers and sisters and friends who are joining us that the the gospel of mark presents a different kind of jesus he's not the sweet baby jesus tame and domesticated meek and mild sitting in a manger and helpless he's the he is a powerful jesus and as as josh uh, uh, preached last week for us he's a jesus he's the god man who who calmed a storm with just his words. He's that kind of a Jesus. And, and they asked the right questions. They were afraid. And they asked the question, uh, who then is this? You, you remember the story that they're, they're questioning Jesus' care for them while he's sleeping during this storm. And they say, How do, you know, what are you doing? Don't you know we're going to perish? And, and Jesus gets up and with a word, he calms the storm. He says, where's your faith? And they're afraid, and they say, who then is this? Jesus, you know, the Jesus of our imagination, um, oddly enough, can't do those kinds of things. He, he, the Bible presents him as, as someone who's powerful, sovereign, and yet merciful. He's, uh, he's different than our imagination. He's, he's like that confession said, he's truly God and truly man. And we must answer the question, who then is this? Who then is this? Jesus. Well, uh, Mark 5, 1 through 20 actually answers that question. It's sort of completing the narrative arc that has, ha has begun. You know, this, this Jesus who is, who is uh, beginning to exert his authority and explain his authority to the religious people and to his disciples and all who come around is displaying the power of the kingdom that he's bringing. And the right question to ask is, who is this Jesus? Well, 
Mark 5, 1 through 20 tells us, and actually comes from the mouth of the demons. He's Jesus, the son of the most high God. And what I, I want us to think about this morning and to take away from it is that this, this powerful and merciful God, Jesus, man, God made flesh, his merciful and powerful acts demand our proclamation. They demand our proclamation. Mark is displaying a, a nuanced Jesus. He's, a, he's, he's a one that is both powerful and merciful. He's strong and kind. And in the end, we're going to see that he demands our proclamation, our, our preaching of this good and powerful God, of his good and powerful acts, his merciful acts. So if, you know, as I described last week, the, the scene ended with Jesus calming the storm and this question being asked, who then is this Jesus? He's Jesus strong and powerful. And, and, and Mark picks up the next scene in verse one of chapter five. There's a new setting here and uh, the exact location is a little unclear. And so the ESV translated the country of the Gerasenes and, uh, as best we know, it's the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, most scholars believe. But what can all be agreed on is this is Gentile land. You're going to see throughout through the story that, uh, that um, you know, the Gentile nature of this place is, uh, is on the face. You know, there are pigs in the land and, and, and things like that. And, and Jesus is stepping on to Gentile soil. And one of the questions is, you know, is, does he have power here? Does his power reign here? Yeah, he has power over the sea with his very words. You know, he has authority in Judea and Jerusalem. He's changing religion as they knew it. But does he have power in the Gentile place? So Jesus is coming. They, they make it across the sea after this hurricane force storm bears down on them he calms it with just a word and 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 verse two when jesus had stepped out of the boat he steps onto gentile and immediately there met him a man out of the tombs out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit and right away we see kind of like Josh was telling us that the, the creation is groaning and things aren't the way it's supposed to be, that verses 2 through 5 tell us that the, things are not the way they're supposed to be, not the way it's supposed to be. And you, and you see that because there's this man approaching Jesus. And, and Mark tells us right away, you know, uh, Peter was there. He, he, he would have known exactly what happened. And uh, Mark tells us that this was a man who lived in the tombs, verse 2. He, he lived among dead people. He lived in a cemetery. He was, he, was, he, was a, he was a dead man walking. And all of us know, I mean, this is why horror movies oftentimes revolve around the dead and cemeteries. This is, a, this is straight out of a horror movie. Something's not right here. This man is coming from the tombs and he has an unclean spirit, Mark tells us. And the unclean spirit is just another, uh, another way to say he had a demon. It was demon possessions. And I know, I don't, I don't know how much I need to convince you that the spiritual world is, is true and active, but there may be some among us who are watching who have a little bit of disbelief that 
that there actually are demons and, uh, and there's a spiritual realm going on. Uh, but there are really only two options. Either this is all material and there's no spiritual or, or there's a spiritual world. There is, there are unthing, unseen things going on like the Bible says. And if the, if the Bible's right, you know, honestly, Christians have approached this in two, I, I think, equally wrong ways. Oftentimes, Christians think wrongly about the spiritual world. Um, some, some of us think too little about it. Like there's no spiritual battle at all going on. Like there's, uh, th- there's really nothing beyond this material. We, we really live like we're materialists a lot of the time. We, we don't think about the spiritual battle that's, that's waging war uh, all around us. God says that that is true. The, the Old Testament bears that out, and, and, and the New Testament bears that out. And, and really, until recently, uh, most people in society actually believe this. So, you know, since the Enlightenment, you know, since, our, since modernity has affected us so much, we, we really think primarily about the physical world. And that, too, is a, is a tool of the evil one. It's a tool of our, of our own sin that causes us not to reflect on things that are actually there and happening. But, you know, the other reaction to this and, uh, is that we think too much about this. You can think too little about the spiritual world, but you can also think too much about this. When I was growing up, I remember there were, there were books just all about this, all about uh, the, the spirit world and... Um, uh, you know, living in this present darkness. I'm getting the title of these books wrong, but uh, you know, there were there were books in a whole world that dwelt too much on on uh, on the spiritual in this sense that they that they lived like the devil and demons had more control and power or had control and power outside of God. That's just it leads to superstition and fear in unhelpful ways. So you can think too little about it. That is so true. But you can think too much about it, and too. And we need to think about that a little bit. What, is, what does the Bible tell, tell to those who think too much about the, the spiritual world? Who think too much about demons and their, their power over us? 2 Peter 2.4 tells us, uh, he tells us this, For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. And, and committed them to darkness to be kept until judgment. Uh, how, you know, you, you might ask, how did they sin and deserve this punishment? Jude 6 tells us that, and the angels who did not stay in their own punish, uh, position of authority, that is, uh, they went outside of their lane, right? They, they wanted an authority that wasn't theirs. So, so they fell with Satan, but left their, their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. And you can read the book of Job. You can read the book of Revelation. And if you think too much of a demon's power, if if you are frightened and afraid and superstitious about these things, you should read that God has ultimate control over all of these things. And not one hair of your head can fall to the ground without God knowing. Satan and his minions are on a short leash. You can read the book of Job where uh, where Satan ha- has to come before God in order to do anything. He, he is under God's control, completely sovereign control. 
Now, if you think too little of the spiritual world, uh, I, I would just invite you to read uh, the book of Ephesians, especially Ephesians chapter six. It'll be on your screen here if you're if you're looking at the the document. I'm just going to read it for us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me uh, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So if you think too little about it, realize that you, demons do have power. Uh, the devil has power, but it's not greater than God's, and he's given you armor to put on to fight the evil, the evil one and his schemes. And we just remember that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And Mark is, is clearly telling that by this man, he's dwelt in the tombs and he had an unclean spirit. And as we move on through verses three and four, you know, Mark repeats, he, he has a repetition that this man is a tomb dweller. He actually repeats this twice, three times in these short verses. He tells us this man dwells in the tombs, and, 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 and he, he's, he's basically a dead man. And, and what's going to happen to him? Will, will Jesus resurrect him? Will Jesus break the chains of death for this man's life? And verses 3 and 4, uh, things are still not right because he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore not even with the chain. He had superhuman strength for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had strength to subdue him. And while this man possessed by the demons had superhuman strength to break apart chains that he would, that, were meant to subdue him, there were other chains that were binding him that he could not break. Chains of, of destruction and, and, and the hordes of the demons dwelling within him and overtaking his personality. What will happen to this man? Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever come into contact with the demon possessed. As far as I know, I never have. Um, but this can be a very scary thing. And you could be tempted to, to run away from something like this. And, uh, and that fear is real and true. But, but Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't run. There's no sense of fear about him at all. This man has superhuman strength. And he's crying out. And, 
And in verse five, he's again, he's the tomb is mentioned. He's dwelling among the tombs and for the third, you know, for the third time. But but now, you know, we, we see that things aren't the way they're supposed to be because he's he's harming himself. Psychological and physical harm. He's he's crying out day, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. We realize that. We must realize that not all mental illness is caused by demon possession. But we must also realize there is a spiritual war going on here. And, and we don't have the power to help uh, people that have um, chemical imbalances and medical disorders that are, are causing mental illnesses. But all the time, all the time, our struggles, our depression, our mental illnesses are both physical and spiritual. They're always connected. And sometimes there, there are mental illnesses that are, that are either caused by or, or strengthened by the, the spiritual forces of darkness. So we're always, we're, we're always helping people that need to get to the hospital to get to the hospital, but we're also ministering to them spiritually. They, they, they need spiritual help. They need to be prayed over. They, they need the word of God spoken to them. They, they need the gospel. They need the presence of, of Jesus Christ spoken into their lives. And this is, this is where Jesus is. He has the, he has the, the ministry of his presence right before this man who's, who's definitely tortured and by psychologically and, and physically, he's, he's harming himself. Friends, we just must realize that this is, this is what the demons want to do. This is what the devil wants to do. This is what the spiritual world wants to do to the image of God and man. It wants to destroy uh, we must help people see that uh, they're made in God's image and uh, they're, they're precious in his sight because they're created to, to, for relationship with him. They're created to represent him. So to harm oneself, if, if, if that is your struggle, I, I just want to tell you that, that Christ loves you. He, he, he doesn't hate you. He loves you more than you love yourself. You don't have to harm yourself. And you can talk to talk to one of us or or someone that you trust and 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 and, and talk to us about uh, about how a relationship with Jesus and what all of that will mean. This man is tortured, and I just wonder, like, what will Jesus do with him? What will Jesus do with the demon possessed? So the man whose physical strength causes him to break apart chains but he's still bound by chains he's he's harming himself what will jesus do so we move on verses 6 through 13 we see the power and the mercy of jesus and when he saw jesus from afar he ran and fell down before him now you know the the demons seem to have taken over this man's personality and forcing him to do certain things and it's it's a little unclear whether the it's the man has any vestige of control remaining and he runs to bow before Jesus, but it does seem like the demons are controlling him and, and they come and they know they must bow before this one because of who they know he is. And he speaks, the man, the demons speaking through the man. He says, verse seven, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me? 
Jesus, son of the most high God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The demons are trying to exert some control over Jesus and they're making him swear by God. We want you to swear to God that you will not torment us because they knew he had the power to do it and their, their day is coming and they will be bound forever in the torments of hell along with all those who do not believe in Jesus. They will be bound there forever and they knew that was going to happen but they didn't want it yet. So they have an orthodox confession of Jesus Christ that he's the son of God, the most high God. This is a confession of his divinity. This is, this is, this is the, he's man, but he's more than man. He's the God man. He's the man made flesh. He's the God made flesh. He is, he is complete divinity dwelling before them. And they know that they were created by him. They have an orthodox confession, but he is, is, he is their enemy. And Jesus interacts with this this man who's possessed by the demons. And uh, verse 8 tells us that he had had told him to come out. And the demons are resisting him. And and Jesus was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And in verse 9, Jesus asked the man, what is your name? What is your name? And, And oftentimes exorcists... Uh, it is even in the documents that they would, they would say that they could have control when they had the name of the person. And, and Jesus is, Jesus is, he's, he's not doing a magical incantation. He's interacting with this demon because he wants us to see something. And the demons through the man cry out that they are legion. They're an army. Okay. The, the number does not matter. Uh, but, but a legion was a certain number of thousands of soldiers and Mark is trying to describe for us that there is an army. There's an army from hell trying to destroy this man, to take over this man. There's four to 6,000 in, in a legion, but there's this, this army, this, this rebel forces that, that want to destroy the image of God and man. But do you see them? This army of people, when they see Jesus, the son of the most high God, what must they do? They must bow before him. They must beg him not to torment them. And Jesus replies, uh, as the man replies, our name is Legion, for we are many. And they beg him earnestly. This is, one of, this is the first of three beggings that happened in the scene. They beg him to send them out of the country. This, this horde from hell, this, this host of hell's armies come to destroy the man. They have no power where Jesus reigns. And Jesus is bringing his kingdom. When Jesus chooses to save, the demons cannot destroy. Jesus has power, complete and total. He's, if you'll remember, when the Pharisees, Sadducees accused Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebul, and Jesus gives the parable of binding the strong man. No one can go in and plunder a strong man's house unless you bind him. This is that, this is that parable enacted out. Jesus is binding the strong man. 
Mark is a literary genius. He's, he's showing us, like, uh, Jesus is not just teaching. He, he is the servant who, who actually is strong enough to come and bind the strong man. He will bind him now. And one day, as we get on in Mark, Jesus will walk up the hill with a cross on his shoulder. They will put him on that cross. They will nail him to that cross, and he will be the substitute for men like the man with the legion of demons, and men and women like you and me. He will take their place. He will take the wrath of God on him. He will say, it is finished. He will be buried in a tomb, and then he'll rise again, and then he'll ascend to the Father, and he will finally have bound the strong man. If you're a Christian, Satan has no power over you. None. He is our enemy. Yes, First John tells us we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. He is our enemy, but he has no final power over us. Jesus Christ defeated him. Colossians tells us he made an open show of, of, the, of the armies, of the principalities and powers and authorities. He reigns completely over them. There's no power where Jesus reigns. Jesus is binding the strong man. And friend, if you're listening and, and, and you have never put your trust in Jesus, I, I invite you to repent of your sins and, and place your trust in him. He's the one that can bind the strong man and free you. Maybe you're like this man who, who had chains around him that he could not break, even though he could, he could break physical chains. He could not break the chains of death and hell. Jesus can break those for you. Jesus, these legion of devils have to ask him to go, and they want to go into the swine. And this is one of the reasons why we think this is a Gentile land, is there are swine, and it's possible that they were raising these pigs to feed the Roman army. And so there was maybe were double meaning going on here. And, uh, and there's 2,000 pigs, the, the scriptures tell us. And, and here comes... Um, here comes Jesus, and, and, and the legion of devils want to go in because, because they want to go into the swine because they must destroy something. This is what they are. They're destructive. They're evil. In verses 11 through 13, Mark tells us, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus, he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. One commentator says that this is not a favor. This is not a favor. Jesus isn't giving them favors, but it's an enacted parable that will dramatically demonstrate two facts. One, that the aim of the demonic realm is to totally destroy its host. And two, that the material cost of bringing the possessed back to life and fellowship summons the townspeople to a decision. Will they rejoice at the man's healing in spite of the cost, or will they resent Jesus' expensive exorcism and reject him for economic reasons? And the choices before you today. 
Will I worship Jesus for who he is, not like me? Will I worship him? Or will I worship him like Ricky Bob? I like the Christmas Jesus. He, he's the Jesus that makes me a lot of money and helps me win car races. I like that Jesus. Or will we worship the Jesus that the Bible presents, that Mark is presenting to us, full of power and mercy? Jesus is not like us, friend. He's not like you. Christian uh, member at the branch or Christian who attends regularly evangelism. Uh, I, I just want to apply this to our evangelism. Who are we presenting to people? as we're asking them to come to Christ? Are we presenting the Jesus that will give them their best life right now? Or are we presenting the Jesus of Mark, the king who demands total allegiance to himself, who has complete power? When we evangelize, do we present Jesus as, you know, the Christmas kind of Jesus? Or, or do we present Jesus as, uh, as fully God, fully man? He's not, he's not going to make your life better necessarily in this world, but he will make it better in the end. He's the Jesus who died in your place. Who do you worship? Christian, who do you preach? Jesus like me or like the Bible presents. And, you know, this story uh, kind of helps us get at that. As Westerners, this, this story kind of... A, a, it offends our Western sensibilities, doesn't it? Why, why would Jesus let all these pigs die? What's, there just seems to be waste here. And, uh, you know, doesn't he love the things that he created? Friends, don't, we, don't read this as a Westerner. Don't read this as a, a Northwesterner. The man was more important than the pigs. That's what it was all about. Jesus had his own reason for not vanquishing those demons to hell. Uh, he had his own reasons that I, I don't know why he did that. But I, what I do know is he was saying men's souls are more important than pigs. We must believe that. Now, there's lots of things that get in the way of us evangelizing and telling people about Jesus and, and presenting the right kind of Jesus. This is just one of those things. You know, for the, for the townspeople, this, there were economic reasons to, to not believe Jesus. And uh, for the disciples, there were, there were fearful, fearful reasons. For the religious people, there were religious reasons not to believe Jesus. But all of it had to were revolved around themselves and the idols they had created. This story is not about the pigs, friends. The story is about Jesus Christ, full of mercy and grace, full of power and glory. Jesus allows them to go into the pigs to destroy them, showing their, their real motive, what they're all about, and that his kingdom is totally different than that. His kingdom is reconstructing. He's making all things new. Satan's kingdom is destroying and destructing, destructive. And we see in the, in the next verses as we finish up, there are responses to Jesus. There always are. There always are. Verses 14 through 20 shows two of those responses. It says the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the county. And people came to see what it was that had happened and, 
They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid, a lot like the disciples. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. There's there's really two responses going on here. The townspeople were afraid of him. You, You see that in verse 15. This fear, they, you know, like the disciples who were afraid of the storm, but when Jesus calmed the storm, they're, they're way more afraid of him. Now when Jesus cast out this legion of demons, this army of demons, the townspeople are no longer afraid of legion, this man possessed. They're now afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of him. And, and what does fear do? What does our unbelief do? Well, there's, there's many motivations behind it, but our, our fear sometimes drives us to push Jesus away. For the townspeople, it was economic. It was, um, part of it was economic. They, they feared that they would not have enough money, that, that Jesus would, would, would do this all the time, and, and, and now all the swine would be gone. And, and what are we going to do for a, a living Jesus? You have your own motives for pushing him away, pushing him out of your life. What is fear doing to you? Do you want to be near him or not? One of the ways to know whether you have the right kind of fear of God is to know whether you want to be close to him or whether you want him to, want to drive him away. You want to keep him at an arm's length? I'll I'll read my Bible, I'll go to church, I'll I'll do some of these right things, but just stay away from my bank account, Jesus. Stay away from my family, Jesus. Stay away from my job. Stay away from that that little thing I do online. Don't, Don't go there. Are you driving him away? Are you pushing him out? That's what fear does. Fear blinds us to the glory and the majesty of who Jesus is. Fear causes us not to worship him, but to push him away. Or to worship a God in our own imagination. He offends us. We don't like this. The townspeople ask him to leave. And you you see it. Verse 17, you know, we, we saw the demons beg Jesus to let them go into the pigs so they could destroy. Verse 17, now the people beg Jesus to depart from their region. They're begging him, just go away. You're too powerful. You're, you're something that we don't, we're not sure we really want. And Jesus, you notice that Jesus, one of the worst things that God can do sometimes is answer our prayers or give us exactly what we want. Jesus goes away from them. He answers their requests. He's getting into the boat, verse 18. And the man who is possessed with the demon is following him along. He's he's not only clothed and in his right mind as he's supposed to be. God is 
Jesus is restoring the image of man. Now he's following Jesus. You see a pattern here. This is the pattern of discipleship. Jesus rescues this man from death and hell and the devils. Now he's clothed in his right mind. Now he's following Jesus. And notice his request. This is the third time the word begging is used. And he begged him, that is Jesus, that he might be with him. Jesus, I just want to be with you. If people ask him to leave, the man is asking him to stay, or if he could go with him, I just want to be with you. This is discipleship. He's asking to stay with Jesus, the one who had rescued him. I just want to, I just want to know a little bit more about you. I, I just want to be in your presence. I want to be in the presence of a man who is powerful and merciful. Will you let me be with you? Jesus, it's a surprising answer. This man is begging him, please let me be with you. And Jesus says, no, you can't. Jesus had appointed the 12, do you remember, in chapter 3? And part of the appointing discipleship was being with him. And now he says, no, you can't be with me. But there's still discipleship going on here. There, there, it shows us what true faith is. He, Jesus says to the man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus is, I don't know if it's a testing of faith, but, but Jesus is saying, this is what faith looks like for you. You can't be with me. You have to go. You have to go back to your family and you have to tell them what I did for you, what God did for you in Jesus. Jesus is claiming divinity. He's, he's claiming it and he's saying, go tell them about, go tell them, go. It's the same word, go tell, is the same word Jesus tells his disciples in, in Matthew 12 when he says, go back and tell John everything you have heard and seen of me. Go tell John all of that. Go do that. Jesus is using this word here. Mark is using this word to describe what Jesus has said. He's saying, will, you res- will, your sp- will your faith result in obedience? Jesus is sending him as a missionary back to his own people. Will you go back to your people and proclaim what I've done for you? How I've had mercy on you. It's great things that God has done. In verse 20, and he went away. The man, we never get his name. I wish we had his name, but we don't have his name. He was just the man that used to be possessed by demons, a legion of demons. And now this man, who's not the most important person of this story, he goes away and he begins to do what? Proclaim. This is the word throughout Mark that describes what Jesus is doing. When he's preaching the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, he's proclaiming it. John was proclaiming it. He's asking his apostles his disciples to proclaim to preach to keruso to to preach the word to herald it to just tell the good news this man goes away and he is a disciple we know that because he goes and he's in line with jesus he proclaims in the decapolis that's the region that he was from how much jesus had done for him everything that jesus had done for him and the last response is everyone marveled. And we just don't know. We, we don't, marveling is, is not faith. 
these people could have become Christians. They may not have. But this man certainly had faith in Jesus and followed him as a disciple. He, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ to the people of his hometown. The question is for us then, friends, brothers and sisters, do you have fear or do you have faith? Or do you, um, I had uh, an experience in our last church where I, we had, Bridget and I had gone to a conference uh, on adoption and uh, there were some, there were some breakout sessions that uh, honestly just frightened me um, uh, concerning our specific situation. Just afraid. I talked to a brother at our church about it. He wasn't an elder. He was a very godly man. He used to be a pastor. He worked on our sound team, slides. And uh, we just were talking about, he's asking me how he's doing. I said, this is how I'm doing. And I'm just, you know, I don't know what to do about it. And he said, Doug, are you, what's the stronger sense for you? Are you fearful or do you have faith? And that was, uh, he wasn't rebuking me. He was just asking, are you afraid or do you believe? And and that's what I want to ask you. We could just go on and on about what we could be afraid of or and replace faith with that coronavirus Um, giving the gospel to our friends and loved ones whether i'm going to have a job after this thing is all over is jesus will jesus forgive my sins and the gospel tells us don't be afraid only believe believe jesus look you see him on the pages of scripture you see what he does for, for people that turn to him. You see what he does, how he goes after people. We have no reason. We have, we have no explanation of why Jesus was, was going to this, to this place. Uh, other than he, he, he encounters this man and saves him and displays his power and glory. Friend, brother, sister, the power and mercy of God demands our proclamation. Show that you're a disciple and proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. He's so worth it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would use your word, plant it down deep in our hearts, that we may know you, that we may proclaim you. God, we we want to be familiar and we want to know your power and mercy and we have known it as christians and we pray that we would tell it we would first start telling it to ourselves then we would start telling it to our friends and loved ones who don't know you i pray that you give us boldness i pray that you give us faith to follow you as disciple no matter what it may cost in christ's name amen